Hello, superfans. Did you know we use Podbean to host Superfancast? Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out now. Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is Season One, Interlude Seven. Hello, you sound very excited, Chris. It's because we got Matt back. You swam all the way back from the Caribbean, didn't you? I did. Yeah, it was quite a quite a hard swim, but I got there in the end. I was taking a stroll on a beach, and I saw this withered body getting battered by the waves, and I ran over to save it. And I, as I flipped it over, its lifeless form, I realised I thought, "Oh God, this looks like my co-host." And my guide through the world of music, Matthew. Oh, yeah, thank you for saving me. <laughs> I'm such a hero. Yeah, it was like Baywatch. It was a lot like Baywatch, wasn't it? You yeah. were wearing the um, you were wearing the red swimsuit, and I was wearing the board shorts. <laughs> oh yeah, good times. Good times. <laughs> you don't want to see me in a swimsuit. <laughs> so what's going on? What are you listening to? What's life doing for you? Oh my days. Well, it's very freezing cold in the UK, well, especially where I am now. Uh, More so where you are, but it is freezing cold down here as well. Yes. Just pottering about, trying to adjust to normal life, back on land. Yeah. <laughs> since, since you were gone, the whole world has changed. Everything's, everything in the music world has changed. You've probably been uh, you know, out, out in the Caribbean sunning yourself. You've probably missed all the big news. Yeah, yeah there's been no news feed <laughs> was because cause of internet. And it was, it, was like, uh, it was like being in the Big Brother house. Was it? <laughs> yeah, like the whole world could have exploded, a zombie apocalypse, and I wouldn't have a, had a clue. Well, that's pretty much what happened, yeah. I mean, the Grammys were postponed, so oh. I mean, that's on the same level as zombie apocalypse. So we're waiting for those in April. Brits happened last... Did you see the Brits this week? No, not really, but I heard that uh, your favourite Yeah, she female, cleaned up. She cleaned up. Female artist. Yeah, she did it well. Was, it was the Adele show. But actually, um, yeah, it's not entirely fair because the, the Rising Star Award was given to Holly Humberstone and she also gave a really fantastic performance. And I said back last year when I reviewed her EP, I said there's big things coming for her and she's going to be ah. the next big thing. And I think that this year is going to be her year. I think she's going to do really well when she eventually releases a full-length album. I think she's going to oh. smash it. And obviously the Brits panel or whoever decides on the Brits uh, thinks so as well. Because who does the Brits? Is that... Is that voted or is that a panel? Must be a panel, I think. I think it's a panel. Yeah. Uh, like the Grammys. I hope that she gave you a shout out in her speech. <laughs> she did. Yeah. Most of her speech was about Superfan Cast, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for exposing me to the world. <laughs> yeah, but that was expected. Joe Rogan's shitstorm. You know, I'm sure you know all about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Boring. And Kanye's been stirring up a shitstorm as well. So, uh, the last couple of days, have you seen what he's been saying about Billie Eilish? causing trouble no because, what's he said well she she um this is quite fresh news i think this was in the, in the paper this morning or last night was i first read it uh she stopped a show 
couple of days ago to give a fan an inhaler because they were having a an asthma uh, attack. Yes, yes. And she she made a comment when she did it. She said, "Look, I stop my shows when the fans are in need." Now she was one hundred percent referring to Travis Scott. Like that. Right. There's no denying that. I mean, she's not an aggressive, nasty person, Billie Eilish, but she was. She was. She was making a comment to the fact that Travis Scott let people die at his show, and mm. and she will stop her show because of the fact she saw a fan was in need. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think you can deny that. Now, Kanye has said because he is uh, playing Coachella, and so is she. He's now said because you know he likes to kick up a fuss. He said, "You need to apologise to Travis Scott, or I'm not going to play alongside you at Coachella." Oh. So she's she's snapped back saying i didn't make any reference to travis scott i was just helping a fan yeah. which isn't entirely true billy like I, I, it's pathetic that that kanye has picked her up on it but let's be honest i mean you were making a dig at him so anyway she was but and she wasn't you know she didn't say anything she didn't say it. anything it's all petty it's very petty from both sides but it is um, sting this week was the latest in a long string of artists to sell their catalogs how much would you pay for Sting's entire back catalogue? Good grief. I'm not a big Sting fan, but obviously you, you get a lot of money with royalties and yeah. whatnot. So I'd probably quite a bit, $100 million? $300 million. All right. Yeah, Universal oh. paid $300 million for it. Not far off. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a no-brainer for me. Like, Sting's, what, in his 60s, do you reckon? Yeah. He's not going to make another $300 million in his lifetime. Might as well do it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it does seem it seems odd that they're paying so much these labels for for these catalogs. But I guess the label will outlive Sting, so yes. they're going to continue to rake money in over time. Music can last forever, can't it? Mm-hmm. Oh well. And then the only other uh, notable piece of news is is incredibly new because I only read this this morning. Is uh, Doja Cat has covered Hole's "Celebrity Skin." I think she did it for a Taco Bell ad, but it's. Um, you know, it's not just like some artists, they just do a snippet of a song for an ad, but she has recorded the whole song. And it's really disappointing because it sounds so much like Hole. When I read that Doja Cat is doing a cover of Celebrity Skin, I thought, oh, okay, she's going to give like a hip hop spin to it and it's going to be different. But it's just like a copy of Hole's version. So yeah, I was expecting more from it. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast where I'm not against covers, but... It needs to be unique, and you want to make it like you need to make it your own. What's the point in covering it if you're just going to do it exactly the same as the original? The only thing I can think is that perhaps Taco Bell wanted the song and they couldn't get the rights to it, so they went to Doja Cat and said, "Hey, can you sing this song?" Yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah, ridiculous. Save a bit of money. In fact, I I was reading an article a few few days ago. See if I can remember the facts. It was about Kanye West's um, "All Falls Down" and the sample for the chorus of that is a Lauren Hill sample and they oh. couldn't get the rights to it they'd recorded they'd produced it already and they were in discussions with Lauren Hill they ended up flying down to her house having a meeting at home with her she agreed to it then a few days later she pulled out and they needed to release the song so they ended up last minute getting someone else in and re-recorded the vocals so actually you it's not Lauren Hill's voice you can hear in the song it's somebody else but it's crazy that you can do that but that's allowed you can just get someone else to sound exactly like it and that's allowed but using the original is not yeah it's a bit cocky isn't it to produce the song before you've even got permission i guess but i think that the people want to hear it like if they want to hear what you're going to do with their song mm, yeah it's crazy yeah it's, it's like you know when vanilla ice sampled queen yeah under pressure for ice ice baby he didn't ask permission for that and he got sued like millions of dollars yeah unsurprising he didn't ask permission <laughs> he's too cool for that he's far too cool 
Yeah. Anyway, I haven't been listening to much, Matt. So um, it's 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 all on you to find out what you've been listening to. A couple of albums yeah. I have been listening to, but nothing that I haven't already mentioned in the podcast. It's all, you know, the last last couple of months I've found some really solid records, and I'm just enjoying those. So, gosh, no pressure. Well, as I said on a previous episode, I haven't been listening to much new music until I've come home. Since I got home, I've been trying to catch up on listening. A lot of what I've been listening to has been from 2001, and it's like research for this episode, so I wouldn't really go into that now. Um, But I have been listening to a band from the late 80s called Swing Out Sister. The most famous song is called Breakout. It was number four in the charts in the UK, and they're they're absolutely fantastic. I love them so much. Uh, It's very smart, jazzy arrangements, um, but they're very catchy pop songs as well it's like very radio friendly but clever at the same time that sounds super snobby but i know what i mean <laughs> no i'd listen to it just based off the name yeah yeah and the, the singer she's she's really sweet she's she's got this huge voice and she sounds like she's smiling all the time yeah and there's this really nifty horn section playing really sweet little funky bits and bobs here and there um so the album to check out with them is it's better to travel and also Kaleidoscope World. Swing Out Sister. Yeah, I'm just, uh-huh. looking, just looking at some pictures now. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're great fun. Uh, if, I, if I become a composer or arranger, I want to make music like theirs. Pretty solid career as well. They, they last released an album in 2017. Oh, really? Okay, Oh, cool. that must be a different Swing Out Sister. That's got to be. Mm, might not yeah. be. But their yeah, most famous stuff was, was late 80s. Yeah, so 87 uh, was their debut, and then they've had a, an album out in 2017. Sweet, I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, so I love Swing Out Sister. I've also been listening to Ghost. What do you think of Ghost? Uh, I don't know. As, I, I, can, mm, I can kind of appreciate why they're popular, but they're just not what I expected when I first heard them. I, when I looked at them, and I saw lots of pictures of Ghost before I ever heard their music, and I was expecting some some pretty dark, pretty dark death metal or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it's just not, is it? It's quite. No. It's quite. Uh, what's the word? It's not. It's not positive music, but it's kind of fun, mainstreamy. Yeah. Am I being harsh yeah. by saying that? No, not at all. Um, I am listening to them kind of ironically, just out of curiosity, because I heard somewhere that they basically they're basically like ABBA on distortion. And I was listening to them, and I think actually yeah, it makes sense. Their vocal melodies are very ABBA, I think. I can imagine ABBA singing their songs. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 just funny. Like it's it's as you say, it's very pop sounding. It's very melodic. It is, yeah. It's just um, not what I expected at all, really. Not at all. No. No. But I I I find them quite fun actually. I'm warming to them <laughs> because on the ship we had a little in joke. Because um, we played a lot of ABBA, and some ABBA songs, when you you play them live on guitar, you you realise that they actually sound a lot like Iron Maiden, right. <laughs> uh, like Voulez Vous and um, Gimme Gimme Gimme. It's it's just like it's it's really uh, really quite aggressive. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I was I was thinking about that, like mixing ABBA with heavy metal. It's quite easy to do. Yeah, that's so that's that's who I'll talk about for now. But I'll talk about some other music later on, I'm sure. 
Yeah, me too. I've got I've got some that I have been listening to, but I didn't want to mention because we're gonna we're gonna get into them now. Okay, so 2001 in the UK was the year of the first Harry Potter movie. Uh, have you seen it? First Harry Potter movie? Yeah. Yeah, like... 20 years ago. Times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never seen just, it. Just because um, it's like, it's really Christmassy. Like, it's, oh, it's it? always it's always played at Christmas time, so oh, just have it to on avoid in the background. It. I'm, t- I'm yeah. trying to see how long I can avoid it for. I've, oh. gone, I've done 20 years. Maybe we can do another 20. It's not that great. You're not missing much. Uh, it's better than foot and mouth disease, and that was also a uh, very popular kid <laughs> in 2001. You should be a film critic. <laughs> this film is better than foot and mouth disease. Great. Yeah, foot and mouth disease really took over the UK in 2001. But um, yeah. but on a like on a serious note, I do actually remember foot and mouth disease quite a lot because it was it was pretty horrific. Like we used to, you drive through the country and see burning piles of of livestock. Do you yeah. That? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was it was like something out of a horror film. It really was. Yeah. So for people overseas that don't know what we're talking about, we had this this uh, disease that affected livestock here in the UK called foot and mouth disease, and um, it was really massive. In two thousand one, was kind of like the worst of it, and the only way farmers could get rid of the disease uh, amongst their livestock was they would slaughter their livestock and then burn them, the burn the bodies. And so mm. when you were driving through the country around 2001 you'd see like you genuinely see piles of, of dead dead animals burning on fire in in fields like it was just crazy it was yeah it was like out of a post-apocalyptic movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah terrible for the farmers yeah it really was yeah um, and then other sad news that year was uh we lost george harrison yeah i remember that yeah what would george have thought of our charts here in the uk in 2001 he, he wouldn't have thought very much of it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? No. Do you know who the biggest hitter for the year was in the UK? A successful album. Was it Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park? No, it wasn't Over the Pond, but in the UK, it was Dido. Oh, Dido, No Angel. Yep, that's the one. It arrived at number one on the 10th of February, but it was it was a real roller coaster to get there. It didn't come out in 2001. It came out in 1999. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was released. Oh, no, sorry, it was released in the US in 99. It came out in the UK uh, towards the end of 2000. Okay, so that's, that's not too bad. But it took 14 weeks to get to the top 10. Yeah, and then eventually hit number one on the 10th of February after a slow climb. It, it arrived at number, number four, which was its peak in the Billboard charts. After 40 weeks, it took to get to number four. That's, that's pretty so, crazy. So, so what brought it up to, to, um, to those heights so late? I'm not sure. I mean, did, when when did she do her collaboration with Eminem? Stan came out in 2000. Ah, uh, okay. So I guess that's what pushed pushed her up. Must have, must have. Um, yeah. Certainly in the UK, yeah, because the album came out in 2000, and and it and the album had "Thank You" on it. So um, that's what that sample was taken from. Mm. Yeah. I uh, I got to be honest. I don't think much of Dido's music. Yeah, I think it might grow on me actually. Listening to it over the last few days. I listened to it, well, this week I listened to it for the first time since it came out, really, because, yeah, it didn't, never did anything for me. Plus, my mum had this album, and that's always a reason not to listen to an album, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very mum album, isn't it? It really is, yeah. But I, but I would say, if you take a listen to it now, some of the deeper cuts are, are quite nice. Yeah, I, I can't be dealing with the more popular stuff, you know, the chart toppers, like Here With mm. Me and Thank You. 
they're just so massively overplayed. I mean, even if they are good songs, I can't listen to them with fresh ears and not be affected by the fact that I've had it in my ear for the last 20 years because every that's, radio station plays it. That's very true. If I listened to them for the first time, then I would probably have loved them. But yeah. they just sound so bland and, yeah, they don't do anything for me at all. I do think yeah. that her, her voice tends to be quite colourless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate for a whole album. Yeah. She's got a good voice. She has got a really good voice. I like the way her voice... Oh, I don't know how to describe it. Kind of like, um, like the way it kind of breaks between octaves momentarily in a way yeah. that I'm probably describing really badly, but um, is also used by Imogen Heap, that technique. Um, and that sounds really nice. But uh, yeah, listen to some of the deeper cuts. They are they are nice if you if you stay away from the, the, the chart toppers. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll listen to some of her more fringe stuff. Um, another amazing female singer-songwriter that had a, well, another slow burn this year really slow burn this one mm. was eva cassidy ah okay yeah so her posthumous compilation album songbird it was released in 1998 and made its way to the top 10 on the 3rd of march 2001 yeah that's interesting it, it took so long or, or rather i guess it's been there such a long time in the charts yeah. it just just stayed there and and it's it's just so popular it's, it's so iconic i think she was just such an undiscovered artist when it came out when it was released in 98, no one knew her. Um, she was really mm. unknown. And then because she is just, or was, just such a real talent, I think that everyone that heard her fell in love with it and just slowly yeah. that news crept, you know, spread its way into the masses. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then and then when she did get noticed, I mean, that album, it, it stayed at, uh, did it get to number one? Uh, yeah, it got to number one, stayed there for two weeks, um, and it was in the top ten for three months, so... It did, it did pretty yeah. well there. Songbird is, is one of my favourites. It's, it's such a gorgeous piece of music. The, the whole album is, is phenomenal, yeah. I, yeah. I loved it then and I still love it now. And I still occasionally yeah. chuck this album on. It's beautiful. Yeah, but I, I, think, I don't think she gets enough credit for her voice. It's, it's just, it's so versatile. She goes into this sort of smooth jazz sound and then she gets more rough like Janis Joplin and then gets yeah. gets into like a neo soul kind of vibe um you know and a bit more folky as well it's, you know it's 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 like a little it's like a ride through all these different genres just listening to her yeah it definitely is yeah her, her voice but I, I like when her voice is you know, soft and delicate um mm. you know like uh autumn leaves it's a really yeah. stunning performance from her um, mm-hmm. and when she really she gets really powerful towards the end and, and opens her lungs and it really just blows you away. Oh, she, every track on there is beautiful, but I think she does get the appreciation for her voice because when you think that album is, is it entirely covers? I think every song is a cover, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. people weren't listening to it because of its songmanship; they were listening to it because of you know, her take on it. And, and her I'm voice. sure, but but I mean, I mean, yeah, of course she she gets a lot of credit, but I mean, you don't hear about her as much as I think you should. Sure. Yeah. You know, she should be on the radio all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, think. I agree. And on that note, <laughs> she should be on the radio all the time, considering, did you know that s- since she passed away, she's had 13 albums under her name? Wow. 13 that's... albums since 1996. That's impressive. It's impressive. I mean, wh- how? <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> did she, did, I haven't looked into it, but did she just record like a, a phenomenal amount of music and never release it? Or are people just 
picking. I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't um, know, 13 I think, is a lot. I think some of them are live albums. And yeah, there would be unreleased stuff. There would be compilations, different takes of, of songs, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I get a little bit suspicious, though, when, when an artist releases so much music after they've passed away. Yeah, I yeah. mean, she had two albums in her lifetime, and she's had mm-hmm. 13 in her death. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that Gosh. was the right the right wording, but you know what I mean. I know, yeah. Oh well, it's you know good for her. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so other other than Dido and Eva Cassidy, what else was happening? Unfortunately, the UK charts was totally saturated with boy bands and girl bands. It Yay. was the it was that era, and it was shit. <laughs> We just lap in the UK. We just absolutely lapped it up. Not so much now. Like that, I think that year has, has died a bit now. But two thousand and one was really the thick of it. And and Spice Girls had ruled the roost for a number of years before yeah. then. Two thousand and one was the year that Mel C announced in March two thousand and one. She announced that she was no longer happy being a Spice Girl, and mm. she was never going to return to the Spice Girls. So Spice Girls did announce after that that they weren't going to split. So they said they were going to keep doing things just without Mel C. But the charts didn't kind of corroborate that. So Mel C had already released her solo debut. She was embarking on a US tour in 2001. Jerry Halliwell, uh, Ginger Spice, for those that aren't aware, she released her second studio album in 2001. She also had not one, Matt, not two, but three top ten singles in the UK Mm. in 2001. I remember she was just everywhere. She was. She was. She was definitely the most active. She was the most active. Yeah. (laughs) Emma Bunton, Baby Spice for the uninitiated. Mm -hmm. She released her debut solo album in two thousand and one. How many singles do you think she released in two thousand and one? I remember at least two. Yep. Three singles. Three singles. She had. Uh, Two of them made the top ten. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Victoria Beckham. When do you think her solo debut came out? Was it before 2001? It was 2001, my friend. Oh, it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she had a single, Not Such an Innocent Girl, up to number six. I mean, Spice Girls were just everywhere, weren't they? Uh, that leaves Mel B. So Mel B, Scary Spice. Her solo debut came out the year before, so 2000. But she did have two singles in 2001. But neither mm. of those made it to the top ten. Yeah, I know so, she did a yeah. duet with Missy Elliott. Uh, Mel B did. Mm-hmm. Oh, in 2001. It was certainly around all this Spice Girl solo power. Yeah, Spice Girl fever, wasn't it? God, yeah. Yeah, what a year for Spice Girls. So, I mean, yeah, they, they, they ruled the roost as a band. And then this year, they just blew up as, as solo artists. I don't think uh, young people now realise just how big a deal the Spice Girls were. Merchandise. I remember when there was, like, Barbie dolls of them. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, merchandise-wise, they, it was Spice Girls everything. They had the Spice Girls movie. They had... PlayStation game. They didn't. <laughs> I think I remember a, sp- a PlayStation game. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to Google that. Hang on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I could have made that up. Why? Music video game starring English pop group The Spice Girls as animated characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got huge heads. Emma Bunton looks like her... F- <laughs> Emma Bunton looks like her face is... <laughs> Sorry. Emma Bunton looks... <laughs> Emma... <laughs> Oh, she did, what is up with that? Do you think that was just the graphics at the time? Emma Bunton looks like uh, like like part fish. She does. Like her face has melted in a nuclear explosion. Yeah, she looks like a walk-on part in Finding Nemo. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this is not and, uh, 
I mean, Mel B, Scary Spice, she really puts the scary and Scary Spice in this picture, doesn't she? She looks a bit like George Foreman. <laughs> and uh, Victoria Beckham, Posh Spice, I guess she looks a bit like a demon with those eyes. She does. And if you can picture, if the listener can just picture um, a cartoon of the most uh, nondescript human being you've ever imagined in your life, <laughs> that's Sporty Spice in this picture. <laughs> Sporty Spice. Oh, she looks really sad. Like, she's like, why am I here with these freaks? Yeah, well, she was so close to quitting at this point, wasn't she? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and they, they built that into the cartoon. Yeah. Oh, my days. Yeah, that's just... I just can't get over how, okay. how bizarre they look, especially Emma Bunton. Oh, she's Very so sad. Odd. Very odd. I mean, other... Let's step away from Spice Girls if we can. What else is there for girl bands? Mystique. Do you remember Mystique? Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, one of their members, uh, Leisha Dixon, has become mm. a massive judge on all our uh, UK talent shows. That's right. Yeah, she has. Yeah. She? She's kind of the one that... Oh, she had a solo career as well, didn't she? After she after Mystique's but I think. She did have... Yeah. She did pretty yeah. well there. But yeah, she's she's a, a TV celeb now, isn't she? Yeah, basically. Yeah, she's she's apparently an expert on, on everything. <laughs> yeah. Dancing, singing, ice skating... Uh, juggling their debut album came out in october 2001 it was called licking on both sides now i don't remember this being naughty but that's a bit what? sus isn't it what yeah blimey that's a bit uh, what risque. does that mean licking it sounds on both vulgar sides. it sounds vulgar <laughs> I, I can't imagine it meaning anything other than what's in my head right now which i won't say yeah well i think what's in my head as well mate but um yeah interesting that that, that it, it was big you know mystique were big uh, but that's an interesting choice for a name of your first of your debut album yeah when their music isn't sort of vulgar <laughs> not really no maybe it's about like stamp collecting or something maybe it's something really innocent like that and no one told them that this might mm. be misconstrued their, their sound was quite unique i think in many ways it, it it sounded more it was it was influenced more by american r&b but it incorporated uk garage which was yeah. massive at that time yeah definitely garage influenced yeah garage was a genre that i never I mean, maybe in in the future I'll get an appreciation for it, but it it wasn't for me at that time. Interesting fact about Mystique. I've got a good one for you. Mm. So they, they started life as a group called Face to Face. They were a three-piece made up of Alicia Dixon, Sabrina Washington, who went on to be in um, Mystique, and the third member was Tina Barrett, who left Face to Face before they got signed and went on to become Tina Barrett from S Club 7. Oh. So for overseas listeners... S Club 7 were, I think were, they must have split now, were a seven-piece pop group that also had a TV series that spanned multiple seasons, and they were incredibly white bread, no crusts, just really, I don't know, just so, like, so British pop. Super cheesy, innocent. Mega cheesy, yeah. Kitty pop, hugely successful. Yeah, now they're just a duo, I think. They're just called S Club. Oh, really? Do you know who's left? Uh, I think it's Joe and Bradley. Interesting. Yeah, so like the two main... Well, I mean, he was more of a rapper, really. Um, <laughs> every 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 pop band had a token rapper. Oh, definitely. Uh, you, weren't, you weren't anybody if you didn't have someone to do a rap. Mystique yeah. had Alicia Dixon, so she did yeah, all like, the, the garage MCing bits in, in Mystique. That's it. And I think they do a lot of tours around universities, uh, student unions, that sort of thing. Oh, God. And they had a they had a spin-off, didn't they? S Club Kids, were they called? Or 
S Club Juniors. S Club Juniors, which was yeah. even more than seven. I think there was like nine or ten of them in S Club mm. Juniors. Exactly yeah. the same format. They had a TV show that was on at sort of prime time after school, and they they debuted all their songs on the TV show and then released them as singles. And it, uh, yeah, I think one of one of them became a member of the Saturdays, oh, who are a yes. yeah. who are a girl group in I guess the twenty tens. I think. Yeah, they were much later. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. That rings a bell. Yeah. God, yeah. we we just lapped up the, the 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 pop groups, didn't we? The boy bands, girl bands. Crazy time. That's not Very what we were listening time. to, though. What 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 are some of the big albums for you from 2001? My favorite album. Oh God, you're not going to say S Club Seven, are you? You got me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite album. It's it stuck with me all these years, and I love it so much. It's Toxicity by System of a Down. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I can remember every note, every word, and it's it just brings back so much memories, uh, so many memories. Thank you, Grammar Police. Uh, yeah, there's nothing really like it. You know that there's there's nothing got like this it. It's true. It's very just unique. Bonkers sound, you know, and you're not quite sure if they're taking the piss or or they're serious. Um, they're kind of like cartoon characters, I think. Like the way their voices go to these little high pitch, like. You know, they like and and just bizarre changes in music. You know, they go from yeah. from crazy heavy to like beautiful acoustic and back again. Uh, they've got their Armenian uh, influence because they're from well, they're, they're Armenian Americans, yeah. um, but they're very proud of their heritage. And and the the, the songs are just just absolute batshit. I just love them so much. It's such a good record. I remember when it came out, and I remember uh, when Chop Suey came out, which was the the big hit for them. Yeah. off that record and I, I don't think i'd heard the album until i heard chop suey first uh, and then i went out and bought toxicity but i have to admit uh, i i played it a lot that year that it came out i, I listened to it was a, easily in my top 10 most played records that year easily mm-hmm. but i haven't mm-hmm. listened to it in over a decade so i wonder if it's if it's not held up or maybe i should just give it a listen and see if i i think because like you say it is a little bit it comes across a little bit tongue-in-cheek at times. It's a little bit obscure. And maybe that sound, it had its time. And I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's... You listen to it now and still like the music uh, as much? Or it's just nostalgia? I I don't know. I I don't like... Well, I still, I still enjoy it. But there is a lot of nostalgia there. Uh, but it might be because I've listened to it so many times. And I think now I prefer their later stuff or their earlier stuff. So the, the the first album, um, which was self titled, it's it's a lot more gritty and very dark, and then their later stuff is a lot more experimental. Interesting. Uh, that's 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 quite interesting. Yeah, I might try that. You know, some of the obscure lyrics in in Chop Suey. So the the bit at the end where he he sings, "Father, in your hands, I mm. commend my spirit." Mm-hmm. I was listening to a, an interview not that long ago, actually, with um, Serge Tankian from uh, from System System of a Down, mm-hmm. and he was saying that 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 little bridge at the end, he uh, couldn't he couldn't get the lyrics he wanted to fit, and and they were they were playing around all sorts of different things, and it wasn't working. And I think it was produced by Rick Rubin, and yes. Rick said, "Go into my library, pick a book, and just open it at a random page." So he went in right. there, he opened a book at a random page, and those were the those were the words that he read. And so Rick said, "Try that." And so that's why he sings that. It's got no relevance mm. to the rest of the song. It's just random words from a book. And he, and he said it just, it just fit. Like, it was just perfect. I guess that's what it means. That's what the song means, because Chop Suey is just a mixture of, of the random 
bits and pieces uh, like leftovers <laughs> um, mm. of Chinese food. So it's that's what the song is. It's just a mixture of bits and pieces. <laughs> oh, cool, cool interpretation. I like it. Yeah, mm. yeah. It was so, it was it was a big album for me as well. That's um that's a five star. I was also really into kind of in the same vein. Um, I don't know who I don't know who's going to agree with that, but Silver Side Up by Nickelback. Okay, <laughs> interesting okay. choice. Yeah, now I I need to I need to start this conversation with I really hate the whole I hate Nickelback thing. It, it's really yeah. old and it's it's a bit sad. I just don't I don't get it. Like it, it was funny. There was a time when it was funny. Everyone used to joke about how Nickelback is shit, but it's been like twenty five years now and people are still. If you mention Nickelback, it's you know everyone's just like oh I hate, they're awful. I'm sorry, but at least half of you are lying. Mm. You know, th- this album, this was their third studio album. It was number one in the UK in 2001, number two on the US Billboard charts. So some figures for you. It's six times platinum in the US. It's three times platinum in the UK. It was successful. People were buying it. Overall, as a band, they've sold over 50 million records across their career. So people saying they hate Nickelback and you know it's embarrassing to like Nickelback, but at least half of you are... A lying <laughs> and, in your, and in the closet yeah. you're listening to nickelback albums yeah okay? that's it if, if everyone hates them then who's buying their music <laughs> exactly this album was big for me when i was 16 i got it on tape from a friend uh, a girlfriend actually she had it on cd she recorded it onto tape for me and i played that tape oh till it, till it died like i played it so much i still i listened to it not that long ago and i still know all the words to all the songs mm-hmm. i think that the i think that the 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 most annoying thing about the album is how you remind me. It's not a good song for them, at least, and it's you know it's a decent enough rock ballad, but it's not it doesn't necessarily fit on that album for me. It doesn't really represent the way they sound in most 100%. of their music. Yeah, definitely, and specifically for this album, I mean, this is you know there's a lot of hard rock on this record. It's a lot heavier than much of, than most of their later albums. Yeah, and, and I definitely recommend it to. To anyone who thinks of them as pop rockers, this is not pop rock. This is it's hard rock, this this album. A lot of it. Yeah. I love that it opens up with Never Again. It's a really mm. in-your-face tune from the get-go. It's a good song. Uh, and unfortunately, How You Remind Me was such a massive hit for them that a lot of people think that that album is going to be more yeah, more tunes like that. And mm. it's, uh, for the most part, it's not. Yeah, I, um, I really enjoyed Silver Side Up, actually. Yeah, I listened to it a lot. And... Yeah, the, my only thing, I guess, is that they take themselves really seriously, like, you know, a, a, bit, a bit too seriously, I think. And it was only until they, they released that song Rockstar where you could see a little bit of a fun side to them. Is that the criticism then? Do you think people think that they take themselves too seriously? I think that is a criticism, yeah. They're, they're, just, they're, just, so, they're just so serious, you know, and, and later on when they're singing, singing about, look at this photograph... His face is it's so like heartfelt, and but it but it's 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 very banal at the same time. But their, their riffs are really good. Yeah, totally. I really enjoy I really enjoy the sound of the guitars, and um, there's some catchy songs on there. I think it's a shame that they've got their reputation. Yeah, I don't think they're bothered. I mean, they've sold a lot of records. They've made a lot of money. No, I don't think they care. So yeah, it's just it does get annoying when you can't have you can't have a a proper conversation about the quality of, of Nickelback's music with anyone because they immediately write you off because Nickelback is shit. And yeah. that's just not the case. Yeah. I've, I remember we used to read 
Kerrang! magazine at school. Like, we used to pass it around. And one, one issue, this is a great example of, of professional journalism. Uh, it was, like, the top 10 ugliest men in rock as voted so by, so as voted by readers. And the readers had voted Chad Kroger as number one. And I thought, like, well, number one, like, I don't really see it. Like, I can see it if you're talking about Slipknot with their masks on. <laughs> but you're just being mean, you know? Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that because, actually, I was reading a review earlier today, a bad review of Silver Side Up. And actually, the biggest criticism this reviewer had, who had given them two stars out of five, the biggest criticism he had was uh, their goatees. Yeah. I thought, well, that's not, like, that's not affecting your listening of the album, is it? It's just childish. Stupid. What else yeah. you got? An album that I really enjoyed in 2001, and I still kind of enjoy it now. Not as much, but I, I appreciate it, is the self-titled album by The Gorillas. So they were a... Well, I think they still are around. Uh, a virtual band. So they are made up of four characters uh, with some interesting backstories. But behind those characters is Damon Alburn from Blur and artist Jamie Hewlett. Their idea was to make a band that was so fake and manufactured to make a point about the music industry in general. So they, they, they just created a band from scratch. And these cartoon characters do interviews and studio tours, or, you know, on the, online. They did do concerts although it was it was more like holograms and they had a, they had an interesting story arc that went through all their albums about about um how they got on with each other you know like the the drummer was possessed by uh <laughs> by like the, the the ghost of of a guy that he he ran over uh the bass player is like a, a satanist who's trying to manipulate the rest of them yeah that's just really strange things interestingly most of what you just said i didn't know Mm. Um, but I, I guess they're not they're not a band that I've listened to much so maybe if I if I had then that, that information would have been more yeah. obvious to me I, I think for me unfortunately it's got another family connection in that my siblings aren't as passionate about music as I am so growing up they each had like one album <laughs> mm. and my brother got into this uh, got into this album and so he he would play this all the time and that was like he, uh, he had okay. he didn't have a lot of taste in music he just really liked gorillas and so i i just didn't like it because of that mm. but also it just I, did, I wasn't a massive fan of the sound but i do remember i do remember when they sort of announced themselves and people were i mean it wasn't the first time that a virtual band existed i mean we'd we'd had you know, as far back as the 60s and 70s, cartoons releasing singles and things like that. Um, yeah. But this was the first kind of, you know, like you say, full band doing doing interviews and, and things like that. And it was yeah. it was like, you know, we just come into a new millennium and you know, technology was, was everywhere. And, oh, wow, now we've got these virtual bands and going to have hologram shows. And, and it was just a bit, a little bit, uh, yeah, just living in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it feels a bit like this will be the way music's done in the far future. I think that's, that's will... what a lot of people assumed at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the sounds, like I quite enjoy the songs. You know, they're they're fun, quite a broad uh, variety of sounds. You know, some electronic, some dark rock, 
a bit of rap stuck in there and it's 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 a bit of a mishmash it's it's i can understand people don't like the sound but i i just love this album for the, the whole concept of it they do have a lot of um the guest vocalists as well don't they and i would say actually my experience with gorillas which is a lot i've had a lot less experience than you but um i probably would have described them more as um hip-hop influenced and mm-hmm. there's a bit of trip hop mm-hmm. in there and um yeah, I, yeah. I, that's that's the way I see them in my head. But I haven't listened to the albums. I've I've heard the, the the singles. Yeah, the electronic side of it is is pretty prominent, and that's thanks to the the fourteen year old Noodle. She's from Osaka, and she joined the band by posting herself uh, with a FedEx box <laughs> <laughs> to their studio in Essex. It took about eighty percent of that that little speech from you for me to realise that this isn't real. <laughs> oh, it's real. That's what happened. That's, oh, that's what happened. Okay. That's like where she came from. Yeah. In the real world of hip hop, though, an album that was uh, beyond massive for me. So this this next album was it shaped me as mm. it definitely shaped me as a person. Was "Run Come Save Me" by Roots Maneuver. Uh-huh. This is probably. I mean, I don't listen to Roots Maneuver that much anymore, but certainly in the two thousands, one of Probably top three albums I listened to. I probably listened to this album more than you know, most other stuff. And I would say as an artist, Roots Maneuver really did shape my my appreciation for music a lot. Shaped my appreciation for hip-hop, but also for other music. He opened my eyes to, to things. This was his second studio album. came out August 2001. Roots Maneuver, for those that don't know him, and I think that probably a lot of people don't know him. Um, mm. He did have some... some chart hits some singles they have a tune called awfully deep that came out quite a few years later that did go do pretty well in the charts and i think a lot of people would know that song but in 2001 he wasn't um he wasn't in the charts this was his as i say second studio album he's a very unique british rapper his music is complex it incorporates lots of genres but mostly i'd say soul funk dancehall there's definitely a, a clear caribbean influence he grew up in a you know to two Jamaican parents and that's quite prominent in his music uh, and even in his rhyme content sometimes but his his rhyming is next to none it's so unique it's one of the things that drew me into British hip-hop uh, Roots mm-hmm. Maneuver well not just Roots Maneuver's rhyming but just the, the 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 subject matter of British hip-hop against the American sound which at that time was still very um, you know gangster rap was still very prominent in 2001 you know artists like Roots Maneuver were really down to earth with their subject matter and you could relate to them as a kid growing up in you know, growing up in Essex in, in, in the early noughties. You could um, relate to his music. Yeah, I could still relate to his music. I mean, he was, you know, he was growing up in, in London. Uh, there were still similarities. The, the, the kind of things he was talking about was, was life in middle class or lower class England rather than mm. life in upper class US, you know, where a lot of yeah. people were just talking about, you know, rappers in the US were talking about money guns big lifestyles and i couldn't relate to that and and then artists like roots maneuver didn't try to be anything that they weren't and, and musically his his album run come save me is is just so broad there's just so much going on there so many different sounds instrumentally is really creative as i say he's he, he brings in a lot of different genres i think people that are not massively into hip-hop but are interested in perhaps dub dance or soul Give this album a listen, and maybe Roots Maneuver will be able to break you into uh, into British hip hop. One single off their Witness 
I, I still know all the words to witness. All my mates did at the time. It was a it was a massive jam for people that were into into British hip hop in two thousand one. Well, I'm sold. I know you've been sending me stuff on Spotify by him. I've been listening to it in the background, and and yeah, I do I do dig it actually. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, he I, I I later picked up his first album, brand new, second hand, which came out a few years before Run Come Save Me, and I and I was already familiarised with his sound by the time I listened to brand new, second hand, which was good because it's a far less polished album than Run Come Save Me. Um, and I, I think if I'd have heard that first, I might not have taken to him so quickly. So I definitely say if, if you're looking to get into Roots Maneuver, listen to Run Come Save Me. And he then, he did a, he did another version of it a few years later called Dub Come Save Me, which is basically just dub versions of, of all the tracks on Run Come Save Me, which is pretty oh, okay. cool. Nice, nice. What's next for you? Okay, so the one that I really liked at the time was I Get Wet by Andrew WK. Oh wow! I haven't heard his name in many years. So the the album cover is quite famous because he's is his face with a really bloody nose. That's and right, it's, yeah. it had a lot of um, it was covered up in a lot of shops. <laughs> I really liked his music um, in two thousand and one, and I still I still really like it. It's like a guilty pleasure. His music is just so it's so full of positivity, and it's it's super like. How would you describe it? it like, I can't like really this remember. Ch- Is he the one that did that song "Party Hard"? Yeah, "Party Hard." Yeah. Mm. So his songs are all about partying and having fun and being strong in the face of adversity. And he's actually a motivational speaker uh, when he's not playing music. Was he at um, the time? He might have been. <laughs> it's just like super cheesy rock, really heavy, chugging guitars, and he's shouting. And it's it's just so much fun. Like I don't know how anyone can listen to it without having a big smile on their face and wanting to sing along. Yeah, they're really catchy songs and a little bit silly, really. But I just can't help but love it. That's cool. I I, I might give that a listen. I definitely never heard the album. I know that a few of my friends had the album, but I I remember Party Hard. And I did he have another? He might have had another single after that as well that I remember. Yeah, it was um, uh, We Want Fun. <laughs> I think a lot of his a lot of his songs Brilliant. have the word party in them. <laughs> That's great. I love it. That's like his general uh, theme is partying. And what I love is that he's like a classically trained pianist from a very young age. Oh right. Like he he studied music at the University of Michigan School of Music. And and then in in his first video or for Party Hard, it's just him on a piano just playing one note going ding 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 just thrashing his head about. Brilliant. And you're like, this guy's like amazingly well trained at piano, and that's all he's doing. That's funny. The the, the imagery from um, from that album was was really iconic and was everywhere. I, I yeah, I can picture it now, and I, and I haven't genuine I haven't thought about that since two thousand and one, but I can still picture it in my head. Yeah. yeah, with his hair yeah. all wet and, and over his face and, and blood yeah. all over his face. And, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and when he does interviews, he just he just says absolutely strangest things, or he just starts crossing his eyes. Really? Is he still going? He's still going. Yeah, but he's also in TV and film and producing music. Yeah, he, he just does little bits here and there. Yeah, I think he's recently had an album out. Yeah, I was going to um, say actually, I, I seem to remember hearing his name at some point not that long ago. Yeah, God is partying. That's come out <laughs> last year. <laughs> He's not changed his attitude towards life, has he? No, no. And the front cover of God is partying is just him lying in in the gutter, surrounded by rubbish, and he's he's wet himself. <laughs> so he's clearly had a great time. 
Oh, what a legend. Andrew WK. Yeah, I'm going to check that album out, that, that 2001 album, definitely. What other albums do you have for yeah, I got, us? I've got one more. One more I wanted to mention um, is an album that uh, was not a massive album for me in 2001, but it was definitely, if I listen to it now, it's it's got the sound of alternative 2001 for me. It's really nostalgic, and I wonder if you'll agree, even if you weren't a fan. And that is uh, "Free All Angels" by Ash. Mm, I do remember Ash. I didn't really listen to them much. No, I mean, I, so this this was their third studio album, um, Northern Irish indie rockers, and unfortunately, this album is uh, similar to Silver Side Up in that it has one song that tarnishes it a little bit. So they had a single called Shining Light that came out in January 2001 and it's a real earworm, Shining Light, uh-huh. and it's an okay song. Um, yeah, I, I really like Tim Wheeler's guitar in this song, but that's about it. It's it's a really conservative song and it's hard not to misinterpret it as a religious song as well, I think. Uh-huh. The, the name uh-huh. Shining Light and some of the lyrics. Maybe it's not a misinterpretation, I don't know. Al- although the video, he's swimming around with a hot chick, so... I guess he is Ooh. singing to a woman rather than singing to God. But it could, if you listen to it on the radio, it could sound like a, a religious tune. Mm, or maybe he sees God as a sexy woman. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But either way, I, I think a lot of people then assumed that was Ash. But, you know, people that didn't know Ash previously. This was their third album. Um, yeah. But, but those that didn't already know Ash, they might have heard Shining Light and thought, well, that's them. But actually, yeah. the album Free All Angels doesn't, doesn't totally reflect that i mean there are there are cuts on there that are similar in vain to to shining light but their second single burn baby burn which came out in april 2001 that was a banger mm. that mm. was faster heavier more guitar just louder it's brilliant really cool mm. and there's this I remember. awesome bit in in burn baby burn um where there's a musical break and it's just tim wheeler's voice and then it and it crashes back in again it's really good yeah, they should be remembered for that tune, not for not the shining light. I only remember their singles and their their videos on. There was a music channel called Q. Yeah, I remember they were on quite a lot. Yeah, they were. I mean, if I like, like I say, if I listen to this album now, which I have done over the last couple of days, even the songs that I didn't know from the album, it sounds like me being a sixteen-year-old again. So I think <laughs> that they they really embodied that alternative indie rock sound of two thousand and one. Um. Yeah, this is really good. Close to my vitriol as well. They were label mates on Infectious Records, so uh-huh. they ended up doing a lot of shows together, promos together. Ah, cool. There's one, um, there's an interview on YouTube, which I'd recommend watching if you've got some patience. But there's an interview from German TV with Ash and my vitriol. And the German interviewer is so awful. It's oh. so bad. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I was going to say I don't know why they didn't just leave. Uh, but I guess the reason they didn't leave is because there were bands that wanted publicity and the label probably said, you're going to do this. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. um, but he's so bad. His questions are just... He ha- obviously hasn't listened to either band and he's just asking them moronic questions and some from My Vitriol and Tim Wheeler that's being so patient about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, some bands wouldn't be so patient. No. Have you seen that one that's doing the rounds on YouTube? It's an old interview, but with uh, Sigur Ross. No, no. There's an interview with an American radio station with Sigur Ross, and it's uh, it's so painful. They just give uh, one word answer, one word or no answer to all the questions. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's really if you just Google it, it, yeah, you'll find it. It's really awful. 
mean, when, when bands are super successful, I guess they must get so sick of doing interviews and saying the same things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Ash Free All Angels, definitely. Uh, check it out. If you haven't heard of Ash, check it out because there's a lot of lot of indie rock from that year. Maybe I'm using the word indie wrong. Alternative rock from that year. And I think Ash is a good gateway into that. And it's a good album. It's got some great songs on it. Cherry Bomb. Listen to Cherry Bomb on that album. That's really good. Mm. Kind of sounds like 70s surf rock with the guitars turned up to 11. Um, nice. Killer guitar solo. This was the era of guitar solos as well. Just quickly on that. What happened to guitar solos? Did it, bands don't do that much anymore. Also, certainly not chart, chart-topping bands. Not really. I mean, I think that the way I feel about the charts is that they're all about the vocals. Um, you know, if you've got a really killer intro with some amazing instruments doing you know virtuosic you know riffs and solos um the the djs will talk over that and right up until the singer comes in and then the singer will start i guess you know, yeah. it just doesn't really sell you know or, or they might cut out the solo you know like sweet child of mine i always hear them cut out most of the solo on the radio just yeah. for, for time's sake yeah but I, if you listen to i mean i discovered this listening to ash's album actually like all the songs had a not a long, a pretty short, but a guitar solo. That was the bridge. Have a little guitar solo. And, you know, Liam Gallagher got slammed a bit this week because he said that Coldplay weren't a rock band, but they were nominated for rock, some rock group award on the Brits. And Coldplay don't do a <laughs> Coldplay wouldn't do a guitar solo if it slapped him in the face, would they? <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Mm. No. But, but at this time, 2001, a lot of the mainstream even bands, I mean, Muse... You could Muse were massive. This was oh, this was yeah. Muse's year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they chuck a guitar solo everywhere, don't they? Oh yeah, of course, fantastic solos. And Plug in Baby was that two thousand and one? I think it was. And just the um, intro to Plug in Baby is just guitar mm-hmm. running through your veins. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happened with guitar solos. It's, it seems to be a dying skill. Yeah, it's it's definitely with like the the more fringe bands or, or I guess the heavier bands, but definitely not. Not in the charts, anyway. Mm. Um, All right. days. Shall we? Uh, shall we say hello to Sal, our New York correspondent? Super. So we've talked. We've talked to Matt about what was happening in the UK in 2001. So let's delve into the US. So the Billboard charts looks quite different to the UK charts in 2001. Do you know? I'm going to go straight in with a question. Do you know what was the best performing album of 2001 on the Billboard charts? In 2001, I know Jay Z was was up there. I don't know. If, I don't think he was anywhere near the top, though. I think he was in the top ten. I'm not. I, I haven't got that down, but I think he was definitely in the top ten. Um, I wonder but, if it was something like In Sync as well, because I know I think Celebrity came out that year, so that was did, a big yeah. year for them too. It did, yeah. But it's, it's more obscure than that. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, the Beatles. Well, I don't know if I would call that obscure, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're not an obscure <laughs> band, but it's definitely not a band I would have thought had the best performing album of 2001. No, yeah. definitely not. And it was it was sadly the year that George Harrison died as well. Yeah, I was wondering if that gave it a bump, because I know this, I was reading about this yesterday, and they said that one was not expected to do as well as it did, and they were kind of surprised by that. Yeah, I'm not sure when George Harrison, I know he died in 2001, but I'm not sure what portion of it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, maybe, maybe if he passed away early in the year, that, that did bump it a little bit but i i remember this coming out i seem to remember it kind of introducing beatles music to my generation of listeners where Mm. we were all aware of the beatles but kind of put it in our faces a bit you walked into an hmv or a virgin record store and there was a beatles album 
sitting there on the shelves and so I knew a lot I didn't have a copy of, of one but I knew a lot of people that did and their songs became a bit more popular and trendy within my generation it's funny because growing up I had a little bit of everything so my mother had actually seen the Beatles when they played Shea Stadium here in New York which was oh, one of the, wow. the first big shows and she, she was young she doesn't remember too much she just remembered the screaming she, that was the main thing you heard you couldn't really hear much of the music yeah. just all, all screaming so she had seen them um, and she was always a Beatles fan and so growing up I heard a lot of that um, you know George Harrison was her favorite so definitely some George Harrison stuff in there uh, my dad was a little younger than her so he listened to a lot of more classic rock my siblings were a good deal older than me so you know, got a healthy dose of Nirvana and early Blink-182 and Green Day and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a big mix. Big mix for sure. Yeah, it's surprising. So, when I started looking into this, it was surprising to see. Because I remember uh, one coming out, but I just, I just forgot, that, <laughs> I forgot that it was around that time. And um, actually, we'll talk about it in a bit. There's, there's quite a few artists that were not from the 2001 era that had some massive albums that year. Uh, Beatles was knocked off the top spot in, I don't know, like... February sometime by J-Lo who spent one week at number one with um well Jennifer Lopez with J-Lo the album was J-Lo and that gave us Love Don't Cost a Thing which is easily I would say one of the most recognizable pop songs of this era for sure everyone knows that song even if you're not into music you would you know you would know that song from somewhere 100% Um, another uh, kind of in the same ilk of J-Lo is probably one of the biggest albums of this era was Survivor by Destiny's Child came out in April yes after three weeks, yeah. hit the top spot. Stayed there for only two weeks, but it got two Grammys. Following year, it was already four times platinum. And yeah, I think most people would, would admit that it's probably one of the most impactful albums of that decade. Um, not too shabby. Not too shabby. And it gave us Beyonce. <laughs> I think that this, this era of Destiny's Child became... It stopped... It, it was no longer a girl group, and it was Beyonce and her friends. <laughs> and it's funny, because I think a lot of people expected... Well, I think even with Pink, I think she had been involved with something. Well, she was another one too. Her album was was massive that year. That's I mean, true. Yeah, get the get the party started was was everywhere. And I feel like I don't know. I, I remember music being something that was definitely definitely marketed through like radio, Disney here in America, Nickelodeon. Uh, Michelle Branch was kind of a person who Nickelodeon really kind of pushed, and her song was was pretty popular for a while, um, which was kind of one of those obscure things, you know. And I don't know what happened to her since, but. Uh, uh, no, yeah, she was uh, Nickelodeon really pushed her, and th- I mean, it wasn't their definitely wasn't their last foray into popular music. I mean, they I know my, when my cousin was growing up with Nickelodeon, they had like Big Time Rush, which was supposed to be their version of a boy band, um, and that was only like ten years ago or so. But um, yeah, they always had kind of a hand in in some popular music. Uh, another big thing for me was just hearing things through uh, through media. I mean, professional wrestling at the time, they always for their pay per views, they always used to have like one hype song. And um, right. they used some drowning pool songs like Bodies and things like that. And so that was kind of a big deal. And then post 9-11, um, I think it was Clear Channel, they had certain songs that weren't allowed to be played on the radio for lyrical content. And so I wonder also how that might have affected the charts. Ah, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I never even considered that. But that's true because I, I did notice a couple of albums um, that came out on September 11th. Um, and that reminded me that it was 2001. Actually, I'd completely forgotten it was 2001. But yeah. I imagine quite a few songs would have um, would have been censored for their uh, sensitivity. As well as Destiny's Child, just just going through the charts here, as well as Destiny's Child, her future husband, Beyonce, The Blueprint by Jay-Z, that was, yep. um, I'd say, probably second most impactful record of, <laughs> of that era. It holds up, too. You know, yeah, I don't remember listening to much Jay-Z at the time, but I mean, listening to the record, um, I mean, it still has a very, you know, production-wise, it's still there. 
doesn't sound dated like like some of the other things, but um, absolutely. Just that, and you could hear the, the there's a big, that big shift in influence because everyone was afraid to sample with copyrights and all that, and I feel like the blueprint really sort of brought sampling back to the forefront of rap and hip hop. Not to mention everything with Kanye West that this would mean for him too. Exactly. That that's what I was going to say. You know, that sampling and some of some of the best production on that record is is Kanye's influence. Yeah, I, I'm not a massive Jay Z fan, uh, but it's really just down to his voice. I just don't like his voice that much, which is not much you can do that's about fair. that. I do respect no. him as an artist, and uh, you know he's he's a very talented rapper, but uh, I just don't like his voice. So I don't listen to his music that much. But I have listened to the Blueprint over the last few days, and it's an impressive record. And, and like you say, it does hold up. It's and, and it's also the other thing I noticed about it was it's been a while since I've listened to um, a hip hop album from that era. And the right. biggest thing I noticed was this was a, an album of 98% Jay-Z. Now, nowadays, you can't release a record without having 15 people featuring on it. Yeah, there was I think they said the one only one feature. was... Yeah. Yes, yes, that's what's going to... Yep, Eminem, yep. There's one, one verse by Eminem, and that's it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. that he... Well, I mean, you know, to expect a rapper nowadays to sit down and write an entire 12 tracks without any, without any features on it just doesn't happen anymore. No definitely not but yeah it's a really good record I, I really like the um, I really love the production on it um, I think that the the tunes that, that Kanye worked on there's four or five tunes there by, by Kanye um, they really stand out a lot I think and you can really pick out his his influences there um, he was the or not the he was a resident producer at Rockefeller and and I guess he uh, he stood out to, to Jay-Z so he's got a lot to a lot to thank Jay for but um, yeah that was a great album so, do you know what the the biggest selling album in the U.S. was? Because the biggest selling album was not the same as the most successful album uh, chart wise. I, well, I'm trying to remember because I know I would think Hybrid Theory was up there. I don't know if it would have been the best selling. It was. It was. It was Hybrid. It Theory. was. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So it, it didn't even get to number one, but it's uh, but it sold more than anything else that year. I feel like it was, it was the tail end of new metal in a sense. And the one mm. again, listening to this record, I haven't listened. I mean. I, Linkin Park, I knew of at the time. I listened, you know, Crawling, In the End, mm-hmm. Paper Cuts, all those songs that were, were everywhere in a sense. Um, and then when they kind of changed their sound, they got a little bit more, I guess, elect- uh, electronic, a little more pop. It wasn't so much mm-hmm. my thing. Um, so listening back, you know, kind of in preparation uh, for this episode, again, I was surprised. The production, for the most part, holds up. You know, there's some kind mm-hmm. of random electronic artifacts, but for the most part, it's, it still sounds pretty good. I have a, a, a lot of nostalgia for, for this record. I I first heard it when uh, One Step Closer came out as a single, and I heard One Step Closer on the radio, and I heard that it was by a band called Linkin Park. And in those days, the internet wasn't that good. Like it was, there was internet, but it wasn't brilliant. And so then I spent the next like oh, I mean, probably weeks, I reckon, looking for Linkin Park on the internet. But I thought I'd heard it as Linkin Park, so I didn't really know what I was searching for. And I never found it, and and then I think I must have heard it again on the radio and heard them more clearly. But you know, that's what that's what it was like in those days. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I remember those. I mean, those were I guess the Napster, Napster and Kazaa days were kind Kazaa, of getting to yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah, and that was a whole other thing that I think influenced a lot of music because I think I remember looking at some of the albums. Uh, they rushed them really to get them released ahead of the bootlegs. Which yes, that's true. Yeah, was a whole other thing. I mean, Hybrid Theory, you say it was at the tail end of new Metal, but actually, if you look at the charts for this year, there's still quite a lot of new Metal there. But but Hybrid Theory it incorporates a lot of stereotypes, but it does it very well. Right. Like, it's much cleverer than most it new does. Metal of the time. 
Um, you know, they've got the rapping, they've got the mixing, the clean and the screamed vocals, flame tattoos on the wrists. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, I think having their own DJ, the, you know, the turntable list that they had as well, you know, kind of gave them a bit of, um, you know, credibility too within yeah, those kinds I mean, of hip hop circles too. But I guess people did, people were doing that. I mean, Mint Biscuit did that the previous year. And um, they did, but I think with Chester Bennington's voice, I think, it, you know, I, I, I always try to think because I feel like every generation or two, there's a vocalist that really kind of just comes through and with the 90s i think somebody like kurt cobain like his voice what you know he had the voice but just the kind of emotion he could convey with it and that's not to say you know there were there were a million other great vocalists jeff buckley comes to mind chris cornell mm -hmm. um even lane staley from alice in chains but i feel like chester bennington really sold a lot of people on lincoln park just because what he could convey with that yeah i think you're right he he, he really made that really made that band a lot um any any albums that made a particular impact on you or or that you like uh, in those days Let's see. I mean, I remember Blink-182, they came out with Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And yeah. I was probably around 10 years old that year. So that was, you know, right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was that was, that was was perfect for me. So, you know, that album really still stands out for me. Um, I remember a lot of music I heard was things through like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, those games. So Alkaline Trio had um, From Here to Infirmary that year. So that album was, was, was played a fair bit. Um, Lifehouse had their single about the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater I'd forgotten about that but yeah they, that introduced me to a lot of music absolutely um, I think that was one of the first times I had heard Sublime as well um, that actually wasn't Tony Hawk it was Dave Mears Pro BMX but they used right. what I got in one of those games and so uh, I was at an age where you know most of the time I wasn't listening to the radio so much so what I was hearing was coming from other places mm. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was it wasn't an album that I was particularly into and, and Blink-182 weren't a band that I was particularly into but I think you can't deny the um, you know they, they were massive they were really massive and they were kind of genre bending in that there were so many people that were not into you know, pop punk rock, but they still liked Blink-182. They really made an impact on you know, so many different parties, <laughs> so many different groups yeah. of people. An important part of 2001, I think, Blink-182. Or, or that era, maybe maybe coming to an end there. I think they'd been going a bit stronger in the prior couple of years. Yeah, and um, the state was, was, was a mess. All the small things, I mean, I don't know about the UK, but in the US, you couldn't really go anywhere without hearing yeah. all the small things. And I, I couldn't really mention them without also mentioning Sum 41, which Fatlip was a, a big song that year too. Fatlip was massive, yeah. And did they yep. have another single out in 2001? Um, um, in Too Deep might have been. I know that song's been used in any kind of uh, you know kids movie. In Too Deep yeah. always makes an appearance somewhere. Yeah, it's Sum 41, Fatlip. That's got to be the one of the most summery. That's the sound of the 2001 summer. Yeah, no, for sure. Of, of the artists that I mentioned before, there are quite a few artists that release stuff that it was not there their era necessarily we had uh, just push play by aerosmith came out 2001 yes yeah it just it was amazing for me because i had been an aerosmith fan already i was a big fan of nine lives which came out in 1997 and didn't have great reviews nine lives but i loved it uh, it was it's still my favorite aerosmith album and maybe it's it was because, the way it goes yeah i guess because it's the first one i heard maybe um, mm. But uh, it didn't get great reviews, and then Just Just Push Play came out uh, 2001. It was their 13th studio album, had much better reviews. And what's amazing is that for their 13th record, and they're still writing tunes like Jaded, and Jaded was such a tune. The, the album debuted at number two, and and just phenomenal to think that 16 year old me was uh, still around at a time when Aerosmith were topping the charts. They never really lost it though. No. You know, there's, there's certain albums that you might say are, are not as strong, but they never really lost the ability that they had to really kind of draw people in. Yeah. Um, and even through it, the, you know, the late 90s with things like I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, a little, little ballady, you know, but 
and that song was was massive as well. And I think that was around ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, it was. It was on the. It was the last track on Nine Lives, and I think that it kind of pushed them into the the, the pop fans' eyes. So I think by the right. time Just Push Play came out, there was a whole new group of people that had not, that had now heard of Aerosmith, and and that perhaps gave them a bit of an extra push up to number two. And then, and then another album I wanted to mention that came out two thousand one that is surprising that it came out in two thousand one when you look back now was Invincible by Michael Jackson. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a thing too. Looking back, I'm like, oh, did, I'm like, did he release any music in the 2000s? And That's looking crazy. back, I'm like, no, he did. It's you know, crazy, isn't 20 it? 20 years ago, yeah. It's just amazing to think he was still going. And, and not just that he was still going, but he was still producing tunes like You Rock My World, which right. you know is easily one of his classics. And yeah, you know, he had changed a bit and things were a bit weird and he was still the butt of jokes at that time. But he was, he was the king of pop. In my eyes, at that point, he was very much the king of pop. I'd inherited a lot of music from my mum, and she was a, a, a big Michael Jackson fan. She'd seen him in 1986 on the Bad Tour, and so I was already a big Michael Jackson fan when when Invincible came out, and it did really well for him. You know, it, it went straight to number one. Obviously, it went straight to number one. I mean, <laughs> Where else? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the album came out October, and he'd released "You Rock My World" the single in August, so that being the strongest track on the album. Of course, everyone was going to then buy the album. But yeah, again, like like Just Push Play, really, it's just amazing to think that I was listening to music at a time when Michael Jackson was still releasing releasing music and was still the king of pop. To me, it's still, it's still honestly really strange to sit... When I, again, I was sitting down looking at these charts, I'm like, this was 21 years ago now. Where did <laughs> where the time go? You know, like, it, I just don't know where it went. And it's funny because, I mean, looking at the charts as well, you know, I, I, I always associate certain music with this time period. And again, whether that's just... The, the only things like I was exposed to. But there was a lot going on in music and not just in rock, but in pop, you know, early electronic music, you know, before that really kind of hit the mainstream in the same sense. Country music was kind of getting its, you know, kind of hitting that mainstream, kind of like post Garth Brooks. For me, the, one of the albums that stood out looking back was, was Drive By Truckers, um, the Southern Opera album. And I didn't really listen to much at the time, but listening back kind of anticipation of this, um, it was something I had gotten into a little bit more recently. And I'm like, this album, you know, really holds up. In the UK, you're, you're pretty aware. I mean, we don't have any exposure to country music at all in the UK. It's a genre right. that has just, for whatever reason, does not cross the ocean. Yeah, the Drive-By Truckers, I mean, they honestly had a really consistent, um, you know, really consistent output. I mean, I don't know how familiar, you know, you may be with like Jason Isbell, guys like that. But, he, you know, he got his start with them a little a little after this. But Southern Rock Opera was kind of a concept album based around Leonard Skinner. So, again, I got into this fairly recently, just kind of looking through the charts. And I was like, oh, this is, this is actually pretty good. I was never really a country fan too much. Um, my sister listened to a lot of Garth Brooks, which I wanted nothing to do with. You know, I was right after that, I was kind of in my, you know, my Nirvana is, is everything kind of phase. So yeah. it wasn't a Kurt Cobain approved band. I wasn't really listening to it around that time. Garth Brooks had an album out in December uh, 2001. Was that, was he already the, um, the sort of superstar that he is now? I believe so. Yeah, my sister had everything. So, you know, again, most of the things we were hearing was probably coming off the radio. So, or MTV at that point. So, you know, if we had it, it was probably pretty pretty near the top and probably doing pretty well you know new york we're not exactly in you know prime territory for country music but if we just look at the uh the country awards at the grammys we had the likes of faith hill johnny cash mm-hmm. got best male country vocal performance uh, faith hill and tim mcgraw lots of faith hill actually so it looks like faith hill cleaned up <laughs> at the uh, at the grammys yeah. 2001 yeah. El- elsewhere in you know different completely different genre but sticking to the grammys if we go to uh rap it was really the eminem show so I mean, he was. I don't know if it was the same in the UK, but you couldn't turn on MTV without um, without, an, without an Eminem song on there. It was, it was just. It was totally the same everywhere. in the UK. 
Best rap solo performance was his The Real Sim Shady. Best rap performance for a duo was Forget About Dre with Dr. Dre featuring Eminem. And, <laughs> and best rap album was Marshall Mathers LP. But yeah, 100% the same here in the UK. Eminem was, was the biggest thing. He kept going from there. He really didn't slow down at all. He had a solid run. He had a really solid run throughout the noughties. So well, well done, Eminem. <laughs> we applaud you. We applaud you. What, what else stands out to you? There's a lot of, I remember looking through some of the, the charts and I remember there were a couple of bands that came up and I was, you know, they're like, oh, this band, you know, they're going to take off. They're the next big thing. And I'm like, I never even heard of them. So I guess they didn't really get too much of a, you know, too much of a thing. Uh, the Prayer Boat, the album was Polly Chanel. No, no. Yep. <laughs> yep, I, I listened to them like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, it's kind of like a pop rock kind of album, but it, you know, it sounds pretty good. I ne- never listened to it before. I was, was kind of surprised by that. Uh, another one I was uh, looking back, uh, Gorillaz. Was a was a big album that year, and the first the first digital band in it in a lot of ways. So yeah, I talked about that with Matt earlier, but I've got this this uh, message from Harry Dean on Facebook, who said uh, when when asked what what records were were important in two thousand one, he said Gorillaz came out. What an album! I remember the radios being largely forgettable. Um, that makes sense. But boy, did I listen to that album a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was massive here in the UK, but it's interesting to say it was massive in in the US as well. Um, I, I think a lot of it almost it, was, it almost seemed gimmicky at the time right like an, a digital band they're doing oh, it totally. online like it was but again like a song like like feel good ink and i don't know if that was a little later actually now that i'm thinking about it i think feel good ink was the second album i think but, Clint you know, overall was the, this sounds the, was the, the debut right. single for them i don't remember too much of it again I, was, I wasn't too keyed in on that kind of thing at the time but yeah i definitely remember kind of like the album packaging and it being talked up for it being the kind of like that digital kind of component yeah so 2001, we, we also saw twice in the same year. Now that's what I call music. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember that. And I remember, <laughs> I think Kids Bop was around that time too. Oh, I don't know that one. Is that, is that no, a similar it was a, thing? It was kind of, it was the hits of the year sung by kids. No way. <laughs> yes, Kids Bop, look it up. It was there, it was there. And so you had some, some pretty interesting songs. I think that might've been the first year for Kids Bop, if I'm thinking back. They used to have TV adverts kind of run through the song with the kids sound, you know, singing it. There's oh a lot God. of them. A lot of them, and I think it, it. I think it was the first year they did it, but they ended up doing them almost every year, all through, all throughout the early two thousands. Oh wow! I can't believe that we had now. That's what I call music six. That was at number one, number one selling album in the U.S. for three weeks, April and May, and then in August we had now. That's what I call music seven, which again was the number one selling record for three weeks. I wonder though, because it's almost like it was a way of downloading the singles before we really had something to allow that like before we had itunes you know you have to go I buy guess. the whole cd or buy the cd single i guess it was a different market that's a good point um, well, that brings but me I... back to the beatles as well because I, I did wonder too with the beatles if you know this was like the first time a lot of those songs were on cd in one place so instead of digging out you know your dusty vinyl and dropping the needle on it you know you had everything remastered on cd for the first time and cds i don't, I don't again i don't know about in the uk but i remember cassettes being big in the early 90s and then kind of getting into cds on the the tail end of the 90s and so you know i wondered too if, if being available on cd is part of what drove one to the top of the charts as well oh, oh definitely yeah quite possibly and i can't believe that actually i've got this far in life and you mentioning it now is the first time i've actually thought about the fact that that's why compilations were probably bigger back then than they are now it makes sense now d12 was also a thing yes it just again just emphasizes eminem's reign in that yeah he's just raking it in from every angle you knew it had to be him too because looking you know the other members i don't know i don't know the other ones offhand no i know, you know bizarre <laughs> and i think <laughs> yeah that's the only one i remember like i remember i know bizarre but the other ones i proof bugs 
Swifty McVeigh? I have no idea. Oh, Swifty McVeigh? No, I haven't got a clue. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true, actually. Yeah, I, I have no idea what, what these guys are doing. Mr. Porter, Cuniva, or Cuniva. Um, I was afraid to pronounce that one, so I left it to you. Yeah. I know, I went for it, they didn't. <laughs> the funny, Swifty McVeigh and Cuniva don't even have a, a Wikipedia page. So it's crazy to think that they were involved in a band that had a number one album, but they've, they've done so little since that they don't even have a Wikipedia page. But Eminem touched it, it was gold that time. Speaking of gold, Ryan Adams had his album out that year, and I don't know if he ever really caught on in the UK the way he did in the US. He was really celebrated in the US for a while before you know, a whole bunch of personal things kind of came out, but Gold actually stood up as a pretty good record. No, I don't think Ryan Adams was massive here. I remember I was doing guitar lessons at the time, and I think my guitar teacher tried to teach me a couple of tunes by Ryan Adams, but I think that's the extent of my, my knowledge. But was that getting lots of airplay around that time? I don't know really. I think he was kind of like one of those kind of independent darlings because he had his previous band, Whiskey Town, which kind of imploded. You know, he's kind of like following like Uncle Tupelo, where Jeff Tweedy of Wilco got his start and Jay Farrar, who would later do Sun Vault. Um, after Uncle Tupelo kind of imploded, then it was Whiskey Town, who was kind of heralded as the next big thing in like Americana and alternative country. And then that band also imploded, and then Ryan Adams kind of went solo and had a couple things going. But amongst a lot of the people who were really into music, he was kind of celebrated as like the next great songwriter. So there was a couple later on, you know, when I really started listening to music, um, you know, all through the 2000s, I kind of had that whole kind of pop punk and then punk and then rock kind of thing. And it was kind of like, probably around like 2015, I really kind of started delving back. And there were a couple bands I found around that era that really no one probably knew. Uh, there was a band called Four Stars. Uh, they had an album called... I think that year it was We Are All Beautiful People. And it was really kind of weird, almost like experimental. It almost seemed more like a studio project, but you know, really beautiful music that no one really knows. But nice. it was there. And it wasn't, it didn't chart. I think maybe one critic mentioned it, you know, but it's, it's amazing how much was going on in music across every genre and still so much stuff got buried. They're the best albums, you know, the ones that perhaps didn't get the publicity they deserved. So I definitely want to want to check that out. Yeah, his voice was a little, um, little you gotta get used to it, I think. But he had a, a, a unique voice. Four stars, yeah. The, the guy, the singer, his name is Carlos Forster. And everyone thought Forster was a play on four stars, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, mm. But he had, they had a couple albums. Um, I think there was one Windows Four Stars in like 98, 99. Oh, so another one, um, which I think was kind of a big deal. Well, it seems like a big deal looking back, was uh, Wilco had put out Foxtrot, uh, was it? Well, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, so Wilco released Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I think it was technically in the tail end of 2001 on their own through their website. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they were the first band to do that, but they're definitely up there. They had a, you know, kind of a, an argument with their label. The label hated everything about it. And so they kind of bought out their own contract with the record, released it on their website, and then it got an official release in 2002. Um, but for a good while there in 2001, they were streaming it through their website. And, you know, that's an album that... Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite of that year. A lot of people really, you know, the critics all loved it. It was kind of like the, the darling almost in a way. Um, and again, I don't know if that was the same in the UK. But uh, here, Wilco was probably on top of their game around that time. Yeah, I think that on the, on the release of the album, I think it was, I don't think it was a, it was a planned thing. I think that they did that in response to bootlegs. Right. You mentioned previously that this was the era of, of Kazar and Napster. Uh, and I think the album started appearing on MP3 um, you know file sharing networks and so to try and discourage that they they pushed it out a, a lower quality version as mp3 and thought you know if, if that's how people are, are distributing music now let's just get it out in that format and maybe that will encourage right. people just to go to our website and get it rather than go to a file sharing site to get it again it all talks to that 
things were changing. This, this was a new millennium. Yep. This was new technology yep. and the industry was changing. Just, just the whole idea of someone releasing an album that way uh, was, was new. We had in, in the UK, and I'm sure lots of other bands actually, but, but this is just one that I read about in the last few days. Mystique, who were a girl band here in the UK, they released a special... Oh, was this Mystique or it might have been JLo? I can't remember. I was reading about someone <laughs> who released a, uh, a special edition of their album where it had, this was in, in bold here, this is the wording that they used, enhanced technology, where you could put the CD... Oh, I remember those. Yeah, you could put the yeah. CD in your computer <laughs> and it would unlock special sections of their website. Mm. Yeah, very, very low. I mean, there used to be like very low quality videos or animations yeah. or weird sound <laughs> clips, you know. About 10 seconds was all you got before, you know, the technology, or if you had dial-up internet in those days, that could, you know, could handle. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, you used to put in a CD-ROM and it would give you a little bit of extra stuff crazy that was enhanced technology that was um, <laughs> brilliant what we're living in good stuff that is the us for 2001 we'll be sure to get you back sal wow what a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> no genuinely i yeah. did i did really enjoy looking back at 2001 that's um a really yeah. great year and yeah and we should keep this as a regular interlude feature for season two so because um, because there were so many albums either side of 2001 I wanted to talk about mm -hmm. yeah yeah there were so many really classic albums at the time White Blood Cells by White Stripes oh um, White Stripes was that their debut no but it was it was their third album but it was it's what really cascaded them into superstardom right what else was there there was This Is It no Is This It by The Strokes mm. I think that you know I've never been massively into The Strokes but I think I can definitely appreciate you know the impact that they had at that time oh yeah um, for sure they were very unique and and since the strokes there's been a million and one bands trying to sound like them yeah yeah definitely yeah shieldsy one of our listeners uh he commented on facebook where he suggested that is this it is is a great album and also rings around the world by super fairy animals yeah it definitely turns up in a lot of like top album lists of the year yeah, so there's was, there was just a lot of great music then. And also, for me anyway, it was it was the first year where I was really getting into music of my own taste rather than just listening to um, what I heard at home. Yeah. So it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a significant year for me for, for music anyway. And so many big songs like Shaggy's It Wasn't Me, <laughs> oh, Coldplay's Yellow, Craig David's Fill Me In. Craig um, David? How did we not talk about Craig David? I should have I talked about him. Oh yeah, that was his that was his start of year. So <laughs> fill me in, Craig David. I mean, he he really blew up, didn't he? He was he was the sound of British R and B. Yeah, I hope yeah. there's not any massive R and B heads out there that are going to shout at me for that. But I think it's true. I think at that time, from from a British perspective, he was he was massive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and he's released some music the last couple of years, and it's very different to his early stuff. And, Is it? And it's it's actually quite I quite like it actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Alien Amp Farm, uh, they did Smooth Criminal. They did, yeah, um, and that was a that was a big hit. Um, yeah, I've got an embarrassing story, but it's not too embarrassing, so I'll actually say it here. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, at the time, I didn't know it was an, a Michael Jackson cover. So at school, uh, we were talking about um, Alien Amp Farm, and I was like, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if Michael Jackson did a cover of it?" No. And everyone was like, yeah, that's so funny. And they thought I was telling a joke. <laughs> but I generally thought like, wow, these guys sound so much like Michael Jackson. Oh, like wow. he should he should cover that song. Oh, bless you. 
He oh, had nice. the, the guy from Alien Ant Farm had the invert uh, inverted Mohican. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Was it, which was an interesting look. <laughs> yeah. Where he had he had hair on the sides and it shaved in the middle. That's it. Yeah. Um, oh man! And let's not forget, of course, Bob the Builder. Can we fix it? That was a yeah. number one single. That got to number one in the UK. It sold ninety thousand yeah. records. Yeah, I think it might have been that one, or it might have been the second Bob the Builder single, which also got to number one because he did a he did he did a cover of Mumbo Number no. Five. Oh, he didn't, did he? That tweaked the lyrics, so they were about building and <laughs> cement and that sort of thing. But uh, I remember there was like a, a race to the number one spot in in the UK and it was either Bob the Builder or Eminem and Bob the Builder <laughs> won and Eminem was second. Oh, no. and um, it says a lot, doesn't it? It says a lot about the British buying public. Yeah. It? I just, I just, I used to fantasize about like a turf war with uh, Eminem's crew and uh, Bob the Builder's crew, like, you know, having a, having a gunfight in the, in the alleyway. <laughs> it's a very, very different meaning of the word crew, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had a look and found a few interesting musical events in 2001 certainly significant in the UK and I guess it had implications for overseas so we had pop stars on TV which was like a documentary where they put together a pop band this started in New Zealand and we sort of took it but after that uh, Simon Fuller who's the creator of the Spice Girls uh, manager of the Spice Girls he took the idea and added voting and live performances and he made Pop Idol, which was also in 2001. And from that, we had X Factor and Pop Stars The Rivals and this huge TV talent show machine, which I think has had a massive influence on the charts for the last, I guess, 20 years or so. Yeah, we just can't can't ignore that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, the first iPod came out in 2001. Yes, it did. And, and iTunes as well. iTunes was uh, introduced yeah. in January, I think. Early yeah, iTunes. but only on only on Mac. It came to Windows in 2003. That's unsurprising though, isn't it? That's, that's what, how Apple operate. They like to yeah. just give the products to Apple fans. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I looked at the, the original, how would you say it, announcement mm-hmm. conference. You know, the way Steve Jobs used yeah. to do yeah. for the original iPod. And it's it's really fascinating to see it, actually. It's it's like a piece of history. The iPod was amazing. Before... It was amazing. It it, yeah. it changed the way I consumed music massively. Mm. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, he's saying, like, oh, it holds a thousand songs and it fits in your pocket. And... But the, the PowerPoint behind him is so cheap-looking. It's really funny. It's it's almost like done on... It really is done on PowerPoint. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in about five minutes. But it's... It's such a sleek looking thing, and it really did mm. change the way we consume music. Hundred um, percent, yeah. For the, for good and bad, I think. I didn't get my first iPod until I think two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Uh, by which time they could hold a lot more than a thousand songs. Um, mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, I I would never have filled it. It was massive. Um, mm. And yeah. uh, what was cool was you could. I don't think. I don't think you could. I don't think it was encouraged by Apple, but you could get other people's libraries as well yeah so i i inherited so much music from people and my ipod was just filled with more music than i could ever listen to and so you could put the whole ipod on shuffle couldn't you and that's normally how i listen to my ipod just on what the shuffling through the whole ipod i would hear tracks once and never hear them again because i had so much stuff on there it was amazing and it introduced me to so much stuff even that last episode about image and heap the the albums i had on my ipod by image and heap and frou frou 
I never purchased those. They were albums that I'd got from other people from their iTunes, hmm. um, and I would never have purchased. Cause I didn't know. I, you know, I, that's how I was introduced to those artists, um, and that was the case with a lot of music I had on my iPod. It was amazing. Yeah, and then, well, because of that, it makes sense that they released the iPod Shuffle, which just shuffled songs. Oh, is that what the people, Shuffle did? Yeah, you just couldn't choose what songs it played. It just had a... Oh, right. I think it had a skip button and a pause button and a play button. That was it. But for some people, that suited them. And the point of that was because it did away with the screen and the, it made yeah. it smaller and more compact. It's cheaper, yeah. Mm. yeah. This fact I particularly enjoy. Very strange. Uh, you heard of John Cage, the postmodern composer. He wrote a piece called As Slow As Possible, and it is to be played as slow as possible. So when people play it on piano in concert halls, uh, it sometimes takes up to an hour because the, the notes on the, the piano can take quite a while to fade out. As you, as you can imagine, it's quite boring <laughs> for some people. But that this is his kind of style. He does very strange interesting philosophical pieces like he wrote the piece four minutes 33 which is four minutes 33 seconds of total silence oh yeah you've mentioned this before yeah yeah you can get the uh, the orchestral score for that by the way full full orchestra ridiculous. um yeah but uh, but for the song as slow as possible uh he he was he was dead by then but there was a lot of fans of his work and they were talking about the piece in a organ convention, I think in 2000 or a little bit before that, um, saying like, how do we play this as long as possible? And so in 2001, they installed an organ at a church in Halberstadt in Germany. And the organ would play the piece until the year 2640. Oh my God. Is it still still going, yeah? Oh yeah, of course it's still going. So um, it started in 2001 um, but there was a pause at the start of the piece and the pause lasted two years <laughs> so even though the piece started in 2001 the first note happened in 2003 we can all agree this is ridiculous right well people love it so so when the actual organ was installed there was a huge crowd of people like really excited and then when the first sound appeared in 2003, there was a huge crowd again. Like, we were really, really um, watching this momentous occasion. Uh, so they basically take a pipe out of the organ and replace it with another one. And then it changes the sound. <laughs> uh, you can actually find the whole schedule online uh, for each sound and each release, each note, all the way up to, let's see. Yeah, so 2,640. Sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, mad, absolutely mad. <laughs> if you've got if you've got fun stories like that, <laughs> then um, get in touch with us on Twitter at Superfancast One, on Facebook at Superfancast, email us on Superfancast at Outlook dot com, and if you want to throw a couple of coins our way, then do not be afraid to go to Patreon dot com slash Superfancast. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to you joining us again in a month's time for the start of season two. Next episode is going to be with you on the 18th of March. So we're going to take a month off to relax. If you have any suggestions in that time or any feedback, then please get in touch. We've already got a few artists penciled into the schedule, but if you're a super fan, a stan, a nutcase, we want to hear from you. Um, And you will hear from us in a month's time. So stay tuned, keep rocking, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.